0: from earth it's space radio this is paul sutter astrophysicist at stony brook university and the flat iron institute and for the next half hour your agent to the stars we've got an exciting show for you today where we are going to talk about the whole entire universe, and that's right, we're going to do it in a surprisingly short amount of time. Now listen, this show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail to get yourself on the air or follow along live with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to Illinois, Pell City, Alabama, Cincinnati, Ohio, the Queen City right there, Toronto, Bogota, Columbia, Dunham Springs, Louisiana, Lancaster, California, or Lancaster, California. Not exactly sure. Austin, Texas, Washington, D.C., Halifax, England, Michigan, Chicago, Illinois, Garrett County, Maryland, the U.K., Portsmouth, England, and Idaho Falls, Idaho. Now, if you want to get in on the action, you need to go to spaceradioshow.com for links to the live stream locations, show archive, all the good stuff. Now, this episode. Now last week I did a rant. Last week was pretty hot and heavy folks. That was pretty intense. The audio version, you know, it's on the YouTube. If you want to, if you want to go down that road, you can. I'm going to try to walk it back a little bit this week. I'm trying, going to try to be a little bit calmer, a little bit more cool, a little bit more collected. And to that end, I'm just going to talk about the age of the universe because why not? Now check this out some new stories are going around this week uh, there's been a, n- a new update a new analysis with a new team trying to determine the age of the universe and yes space cadets I see all of your questions about how do we how do we actually measure the age of the universe how can it possibly have an age all that I will get to that in a little bit but first, I want to get to this uh there there's uh, what you're seeing here if you're watching the live stream is a galaxy survey map. And you can see with the telescopes, they do these little slices of the sky. And so you get these like fans going out billions of light years where we can pinpoint uh, the positions of galaxies. And then using this, this can help us reconstruct the age of the universe. Now, the age of the universe, some people are debating it. We call it in cosmology. It has a name because everything needs a name. It's called the crisis in cosmology. The crisis in cosmology is where when we use certain methods, some methods for estimating the expansion rate of the universe, the age of the universe, we get one number. And then we use other techniques, we get a different number. And these numbers are different enough and precise enough that they actually look measurably different. So you can't just chalk it up to statistical error. So every, I don't know, month or two months, there's a set of papers coming out. There's a new news story, a new news report about someone putting out their number for the universe and and like taking sides. Basically, you're either on side A that believes that the age of the universe is this number. By the way, it's it's 13.77 billion years, plus or minus a few hundred million. But we're arguing over that few hundred million. That's where we are. And the, uh, or you, you join the other camp. Now one camp is based on measurements of the cosmic microwave background, which are incredibly precise, but the cosmic microwave background is very, very far away. And so you have to do some modeling in order to get the present day age of the universe and the expansion rate. The other camp is based on supernova results and supernova are like relatively nearby. You know, they're only like a billion light years away, which is pretty close, Uh, but it's a lot messier. It's a lot more imprecise. And so it comes down to which you, which you believe. Do you believe the precise measurements, but you'd need to do some modeling to bring it to the present day? Or do you believe the present day measurements, but there's a lot of uh, uh, fuzz in that data? I am of the opinion, and I'm not just saying this because I've done research involving the cosmic microwave background. I'm of the opinion that there really is no crisis in cosmology, that there are some cosmologists, especially supernova cosmologists, who want there to be an issue and are willing to claim precision levels for their observations beyond which they can actually reasonably claim in order to create this tension in order to, You know, write papers and make a name for themselves and say that there's a cosmology. The big leader behind this is Adam Reese. He already won a Nobel Prize for his work in discovering dark energy. I feel like he wants a second Nobel Prize for for doing this, for instigating this crisis and finding that there's this massive tension. Because if the tension turns out to be true... If these two measurements really, really do honestly disagree, then you need new physics to explain it. And so if you're the first one to spot something wrong with the universe that you need new physics for, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the second Nobel. He already did it once, right? So maybe he can do it again. I personally don't... Really feel like there is a crisis in cosmology, except if people really, really want it. And so, yeah, what you're going to see over the next however many years it's going to take to play out every few months, another research article coming online, quoting some age of the universe, some expansion rate like this one. And it's either going to align with the cosmic microwave background results or it's going to align with the supernova results. And that's just going to, I think what's going to happen is this is just going to continue for another few years until someone gives up. And I think the crisis is just going to go away. That's, that's me. That's me. Now, a lot of people are really invested in this and really do think it's going to land one way or the other. Someone's going to be proven wrong, or there's going to be some new theory of physics that explains everything and makes cool predictions. And it's like dark energy 2.0. I don't know. I know, but that's just where I am now. I know the space cadets are asking. The space cadets are very very curious people. And I like nerdy roden on YouTube is asking what's a few hundred million between friends. Well, you know what? A few hundred million years is the difference between no news and everything. Like if if these two measurements, if the supernova and cosmic microwave background results agree to within their uncertainty levels, then there's nothing really to talk about. There's nothing really to talk about. Like, we don't understand dark energy. We mostly don't understand dark matter. But we have a really good understanding of the of the early universe. And we have a really good understanding of the expansion rate in the age. That's it. Now, the uber cynical part of me, which is, to be fair, most of me. The uber cynical part of me thinks that this is a concocted... Controversy in order to keep funding going because we've launched all these massive multi hundred million dollar observatories and surveys and probes. We've got hundreds of cosmologists involved in these collaborations, and they're not really producing a lot of interesting results because we just keep refining our knowledge, but we're not actually learning anything new about the universe. We haven't been able to explain dark energy. We've been able to measure it more precisely, but then that's it. But with the controversy, with the controversy, with the crisis, you can say, oh man, we definitely need more money because there's this total crisis in cosmology, right? And so we need more funding to pin it down and, and look, 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 it's, it's, it's possibly new physics, there's this is it this is how we're going to understand dark energy is by looking at this crisis and the difference between the cosmic microwave background and the supernova results but so that's just the uber cynical that that this is perpetuated as a way to just continue getting research funding but that's i don't know i don't know how far i want to push that line now oh nerdy rona has another good question there's this star called the methuselah star you know methuselah is this biblical character that lived like super long time and they found a star estimated astronomers estimated its age and there were stories all over the place about how the star is older than the universe how can this be No, no 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 estimating the age of a single star is incredibly uncertain is deeply uncertain because you're just looking at a star and you're just like, okay, are you young? Are you old now? A population of stars, we can get a better handle on groups of stars, kinds of stars, we can get a better handle. On. But an individual star, like we have a very, very hard time, especially if it's far away, of trying to pin down its age. And so the uncertainty in the age of the Methuselah star, it's certainly a very old star. But it had such large uncertainties that if you went out to the top end of its uncertainty range, like the oldest possible 95% confidence limit, it put it older than the age of the universe. But obviously, that makes no sense. But for some reason, that became the news story. So I I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Andy Cowley is asking, what do you think about the speed of light is not constant? The speed of light is constant as far as we can tell. And we've, like, really tried to tell. If the speed of light has changed over the history of the universe, uh, it would have shown up by now. We've actually tested it. We've tested this for this in like the cosmic microwave background and the growth of structure in the universe and all sorts of galactic and cosmological probes looking for varying speeds of light. And we see absolutely no evidence for, for changes in the speed of light. Now, I did promise the space cadets I would say, how can we know the edge of the universe? Guys, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that we do know the age of the universe. It's the craziest thing. We do live in a universe with a finite age. And no, that doesn't make sense. Because you're like, oh my gosh, it's the universe. How can we possibly know? Uh, Yeah, we know it's 13.77 billion years. Now, 100 years ago, that was a radical idea. Nowadays, not so much. I mean, it's still a radical idea, but it's just now more widely accepted. We know the age of the universe, 13.77, plus or minus like 100 million. That's it. How can we know that? Because we have all sorts of awesome... Cosmology that I could I could spend an hour talking about. Uh, now I I do have some I have so many voicemails to catch up on. I have so many voicemails to catch up on. I feel horrible every week for not catching up on those voicemails. So let's do it. I think we need to listen to a few and we need to have some fun with this. Hi Paul, Steve here from the UK. I have some questions about the properties of dark matter. Dark matter has clumped into threads throughout the universe. Is this clumping still in progress? Also, the Milky Way is at the center of a spherical halo of dark matter. Do the particles of dark matter orbit the Milky Way in circles, or do they boomerang back and forth through the center? Also, is the dark matter density uniform, or is it denser near the galactic center? And if so, is there any process by which this density is changing? Thanks Paul. All right, great questions. That was three, man. That was three. That that was that was cheating. One voicemail with three questions. But look, I got I got a cool video to show. Show the space cadets who are watching this live. Um, this is this is showing the formation of the universe. Steve mentioned uh, this dark matter, which is makes up most of the mass of the universe, forming these structures over this course of cosmic time, over the course of billions of years, where we have galaxies merging together into groups, and then groups merging together into clusters, clusters merging together into superclusters, and it leaves behind these great cosmic voids that leaves behind these filaments and walls, and we end up with something in the present day universe we call the cosmic web. Now, Steve's question was, is this process continuing? Uh, Yes, in the opposite direction. The formation of structure on large scales in our universe actually shut down about five billion years ago, and is now being torn apart. The culprit here is dark energy. The culprit here is dark energy. Dark energy is the name we give to the accelerated expansion of our universe. And that accelerated expansion is tearing apart the cosmic web before our very eyes. So yes, it took billions of years to build this cosmic web and now it's going in reverse. Things are being pulled apart. If you are not already part of a gravitationally gravitationally bound group like a cluster, then you will get torn apart. So without dark energy, the superclusters that we have now would continue forming and then form big giant balls of galaxies. But though that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen because dark energy is going to rip them apart. And this process started about 5 billion years ago. That's when dark energy began to dominate the universe. And that's it, folks. I'm sorry. I wish I could say something cooler, like or more optimistic. But that's it. Like this beautiful, effervescent structure, the largest pattern we find in nature is simply going to go away in a few billion years, and that's just the way it is. And I'm sorry. Now, your other question, Steve, about the nature of dark matter in and near galaxies is it uh, are dark matter particles like orbiting around galaxies? Or are there slingshotting? Slingshotting is the answer. Uh, dark matter particles will like dive bomb into the galaxy and then scoot out to the edges and then slow down and stop, and then woo woo woo, and they're coming from all directions, and that's how you build up a big. Halo of dark matter around a galaxy. And yes, the dark matter does tend to be denser in the center of galaxies uh, than it is on the outskirts. And this kind of sort of changes over time, like it slowly gets denser as time goes on. Dark matter halos get larger as time goes on until, until they don't, until dark energy rips everything apart so there you go steve those are your questions about dark matter now let's let's go back i I need more voicemails more voicemails let's do it who we got next i know i know i know i know dr paul this is penelope how was the milky way created (laughs) All right, Penelope, uh, I hope you're watching online because I do have a cool video to show you. Uh, We've done simulations. These are computer simulations of the formation of galaxies like the Milky Way. and We've been able to reconstruct the Milky Way itself to some extent, but in general, we just have to look at galaxies like the Milky Way and know that the details are going to be a little bit different, but the overall broad picture is the same. We think that galaxies like the Milky Way started forming about 10 to 11 billion years ago. They were formed, a galaxy like the Milky Way forms from the merger of smaller things. So you started with some small seed galaxy, some little tiny thing, and then another galaxy over here merges onto it. And then it gobbles up a couple smaller ones and has a big merger with something about its size and just keeps eating and eating and eating and galaxies gluing themselves together to build up. And you do that a bunch of times over the course of like 9 billion years and you end up with something like the Milky Way. Now we know that the Milky Way has not... Had a major merger in the past few billion years. It has not collided with something gigantic in the past few billion years. And we know that because we still have our lovely spiral arm structure. That means we've been left alone for a while. This is not going to be the case for long, though. In about five billion years, we will collide with our nearest neighbor, the Andromeda Galaxy. We're going to become a super galaxy Combining the Milky Way and Andromeda, people debate about the name. Some people call it Milcomida. Some people call it Andromeda Way. I think all of those are dumb. But I honestly don't have a better suggestion, except for I don't know, Larry. Rebecca, let's just call it the Rebecca Galaxy. why not, folks? The Rebecca Galaxy. Um That's going to happen in 5 billion years. It's going to tear apart our spiral arms. It's going to tear apart the Andromeda's spiral arms. It's going to be a big old mess. We haven't had a collision like this in billions of years. It's going to be nasty. But it's also going to be fun because it's going to trigger all sorts of cool star formation. Great question, Penelope. Listen, this show is brought to you by you. I'm looking at you. This show is brought to you by you. Please visit patreon.com slash pmsutter to keep the show going. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can also do a super chat, which allows you to contribute right here, right now, however much you want to contribute. That's super chat on YouTube. You can go to Patreon wherever you are. Keep this show going. I really do appreciate it. And hey, you can go to my website, com slash store. You can get autographed copies of my books. You can get mugs and t-shirts that say very interesting and funny things. Uh, you can have a blast. Now, let's keep the questions coming. We've got so many Space cadet questions. I'm scrolling through. Thank you so much, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets. Yeah, yeah, Jack Martinelli on YouTube, if you run the universe backwards, how do you unwind galaxies, planets, few stars? You don't really unwind things. Like if if we were to experience a big crunch, if we were to stop the universe expanding and if it were to contract, it's not like time would go in reverse. Just everything would get really, 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 really crammed. And really cramped and get very, very awkward. And let's just be glad the universe is expanding so we can get some breathing room. Uh, Arjun Singh just said, black holes? Sure. That's my answer. Uh, George is asking, at age of the universe, was there enough of the elements that are required for life? Like carbon, hydrogen, and phosphorus. At what age? At what age? So... Good question. A lot of those elements that you need for life are come from the interiors of stars, stars like our sun, you need some heavier elements that are produced in supernova explosions or kilonova explosions. But basically, ever since the universe was, I don't know, like 500 million years old, a billion years old, it had everything it needed. Now, It may have been very, very rare to have planets back in those days because there wasn't enough of the heavy stuff to actually group group together to form planetary systems. But I imagine there was at least one planet around when the universe was a billion years old. I'm willing to put some money on that. Now, whether that planet could support life, that's a totally different question. But I think the ingredients for life, We're around in roughly sufficient quantity and, and, you know, we can pick whatever definition of roughly and sufficient we want for the purposes here uh, for life to be possible starting when the universe is about a billion years old. All right. Russell is asking, how can black holes of different masses all collapse to a singularity but maintain different masses? Yeah, when black holes collapse, the infinite here that you're wondering about is infinite density infinite density. So you can take one pound of matter and squeeze it down to an infinitely tiny point and it still weighs one pound but it still has infinite density because it's taking up zero spatial extent. You can take a million pounds and crush it down to be infinitely small. It's still, you still have a million pounds to play with. It's just compressed into an infinitely tiny volume. So just separate your ideas of mass and density. And if the whole infinite density, zero volume thing is, is like making your eyelid twitch. Don't sweat it because we know that's truly not the case. We know that singularities don't actually exist in nature. We know that our, our knowledge of black holes is incomplete. Uh, Visto is asking if dark matter is frictionless, which means it doesn't really rub up against itself or talk to itself, what prevents direct collapse into like dark black holes? What prevents collapse is the fact that it's frictionless. Because if you're a dark matter particle, and you've got a little bit of energy, and you're buzzing around the cosmos ain't nothing's gonna slow you down, right? If there's two dark matter particles and they swing past each other, well then there's nothing to shrink down to sufficient densities and volumes in order to trigger the formation of a black hole. If they did experience friction, then every time they got near each other, they would lose a little bit of energy and they would slow down and, slow down and then slow down and then slow down and then they would be very, very close to each other and we, the universe would be full of dark matter black holes. So it's actually the fact that they're frictionless is what prevents them from collapsing down into black holes. With uh, uh, Kristen Inti... On YouTube, would the cosmic web of dark matter and the cosmic web of normal matter line up? Yes, they would. The dark matter cosmic web that I was talking about earlier, this forms the, the spine, the spine of the cosmic web. The places where the cosmic web, where the dark matter is absolute highest density, that's where the visible matter pops up. That's where you can see... Everything light up with galaxies. So yes, they do line up. They do align. And listen, I got to do some cheese here while I continue to answer questions. Don't worry. There's more space radio to come, but I'm getting a little bit hungry. As I'm opening cheese, I do want to tell you about a cool new project that I'm doing with award-winning composer Keith Patchell. We have launched the Mars Band. Mars Band is an audio-visual tour of the universe. Our first performance is with the Boston Museum of Science on Wednesday, February 3rd. It's live. It's free, but you do need to register so you can get the the YouTube link. It's going to be cool. It's my narration. It's Exploring the Universe, and it is a live composition, performed live, by award-winning composer Keith Patchell. It's so much fun. Go to pmsutter.com slash show slash Mars Band for more info or just look up Marsband Band, Boston. You don't have to live in Boston because it's a virtual, event, a virtual event. Now, let's talk about cheese. Thanks to my good, good, good friends at Dom's Cheese Shop. That's D-O-M-S-Cheese.com. You can hear me unwrapping the paper of this amazing cheese that we've got going on. Thank you so much, this Dom's Cheese. Yes, they do ship. You don't need to live in the New York area to experience the wonder and majesty that is Dom's Cheese and their amazing selection of cheeses. D-O-M-S-Cheese.com. Now, what they've sent me today. Wow. Uh, I've got in my hands a Cheruboga Blue. A Chiraboga Blue, this is, this is such a cool story. Uh, the Cherboga family sent their uh, from Ecuador sent their son to Germany to learn how to make cheese because, of course, they did. He, and he fell in love with a Bavarian woman because, of course, he did. And he decided to, like, stay in Bavaria. They, they live in, like, the foothills of the Alps, and they make cheese. And, like, Wow how many dreams can one guy have and come true now this i've heard about the chiriboga blue and it's not like super 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 intense and punji like blues tend to be it's supposed to it's supposed to be like a a german ecuadorian take on on a um, on a roquefort like a good french like creamy roquefort so here we go it's a cow's milk. And it's just I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Now that is fascinating. That is one of the most interesting blues I've ever had because it's creamy, it's buttery, it's mushroomy. Like a good bree. And then that. Tang of the blue. Just comes on in. Unexpected. But also. You kind of like it. Like a friend who shows up at a party. And you're like well I didn't invite you. But you know what. You know how to party. And so you can stay. So blue. revenge of blue can just stay because they liven things up. You know, they bring the drinks. Like, you think you're eating a brie and you're being all sophisticated and you're going to play charades and then the blue comes in and says, let's kick this up a notch. And you're like, you know what? I got nothing better to do. Uh, YouTuber is complaining about audio saying sorry about that issue. I will look into that. Um, I'm trying a new camera out. And sometimes things just don't work out the way we do, so I may have to move back to the old camera. Meanwhile, meanwhile, let me do a couple more space cadet questions. Visto is asking, "Do I think there is possibly cheese elsewhere in the universe? I oh, sure hope so <laughs> L point on YouTube: Can dark energy be a new kind of field that we have yet to discover which doesn't dilute as the universe expan- expands yeah like that's the name dark energy we think it is a property of the vacuum it is a vacuum energy it is something built into the universe itself oh and by the way again thank you dom's cheese for this amazing amazing cheese that was so much fun um we think that dark energy itself is some sort of field that is baked into the very fabric of space time so as the universe expands we get more and more space time and so we get more and more of this field now what is the nature of that field we have no idea we have no idea that's that's a different problem all right hank scorpio is there a technical term for the redshift of faraway objects in space and time i'm trying to learn more about it yeah it's called redshift William, am I correct in understanding that we do not know the precise structure of dark matter? We have, I would say we have, we don't know the identity of the dark matter particle, But we are able to map the distribution of dark matter in the universe. We are able to simulate it. We are able to observe it using things like gravitational lensing. So we have a pretty good portrait of where and how dark matter is distributed in the universe. But we do not know its identity. All right. Um see where it's called why does light expand with the expansion of the universe but nothing else does is because everything else is gravitationally bound like the earth is pulling on me right now and that's preventing me from feeling the effects of the expansion of the universe but if I'm just a photon cruising through the universe then as I cruise my wavelength will get stretched out speaking of stretched out I'm going to have some more of this cheese. Thank you, everyone, for this amazing edition of Space Radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to keep the show going or drop a super chat over in the YouTube comments. Thank you Nancy Graziano for producing this show and for wrangling the space cadets. Please go to patreon. Uh, 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 please go to pmsutter.com/store. You can get autographed copies of my book. You can get mugs. You can get so much cool stuff you won't know what to do. I guarantee it. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern visit spaceradioshow.com. For more info and links to the live stream locations, you can follow me on all social channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission.